0: Open your Bibles again with me this morning to the book of Proverbs chapter 4. And if you would also find Philippians chapter 4, Proverbs 4 and Philippians 4. We began talking a few weeks ago in a series I think I'm calling Guarding the Heart. Guarding the Heart. And we see that here in the book of Proverbs chapter 4 in verse 23. I'm going to read it to you from several translations like we have been. And I think you're going to understand how important this is beginning. First of all, in the new King James version, Proverbs 423 says, keep your heart. Somebody say, keep your heart. You're going to see this word come up a lot today. Keep your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it spring the issues of life. Keep it. What does it mean to keep? your heart. Well, you see that in some of these other translations. It helps it make sense. The New Living Translation says, guard your heart. So to keep it, if you look the word up, it literally means to guard it. You see that translated that way here. Guard your heart above all else. I mean, I cannot get over what a big statement that is. Guard your heart above all else. And this is why For it determines the course of your life. What determines the course of your life? Your heart does. Not your smarts, your heart. Not your education, your heart. Not the people you know. You hear people say it all the time. It's all about who you know. Well, if you're talking about Jesus, then yeah, it is all about who you know. But it's not about any other earthly relationship. It's about the heart. It's the heart that determines the course of your life. That's why he says, guard it above all else. And the Young's literal translation of this, if we have that, I want you to put that up there for us too. Proverbs 4:23 23, and the Young's literal says it like this above every charge, keep thy heart. I like that above every charge. And like we've talked about already, that's what the book of Proverbs is. It's a book of charges from a father to a son, talking to him about life and how to live it and who to live it with. And he charges him concerning relationships and he charges him concerning finances and he charges him in legal matters. All that's here in the book of Proverbs. He charges him concerning wisdom. He charges him concerning revelation or understanding. He charges him about his his relationship with God. All of these things, which are hugely important. But he says this above every charge. Do what? Keep or guard your heart for out of it are the outgoings of life. The Amplified says it like this, keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard, for out of it flow the springs of life. So when he talked about the issues of life, that's not the same thing you're talking about when you say, man, I've got issues. (laughs) Different kind of issues. When he talked about issues, out of it flow the issues of life, You see it in these other translations. He's talking about this spring. It's it's like a spring or a well of water that issues forth water. And he said, that's what your heart is. And that's what your heart is like. Out of it springs these issues. And that's why we've said before, you gotta make sure what's going on in the heart is right because out of it flows everything else in life. If what's at the source is contaminated, then everything comes out of it, that comes out of it is contaminated. If there's something toxic in the source, then that toxicity spreads throughout the rest of your body, throughout the rest of your life, because there was something wrong with the source. And you see that, that word here, in the God's Word translation, guard your heart more than anything else, because it is the, because the source of your life flows from it. So there's that word source. Your heart is worth guarding. Your heart is worth protection more than your financial security. And there are a lot of things that people do in this life to make sure they are protected financially. There are a lot of things that people do to make sure they are protected physically. They set up all these systems to ensure their protection in all these other areas of your life, but most people don't even give a thought to what's going on in the heart. And the problem is if you don't protect the heart, then you can set up all these other systems and forms of protection in every other area of your life, but they do little to no good because it's out of the heart where the issues of life come from. You gotta make sure the source is clean. You gotta make sure the source is right because it's out of that source that everything else flows out of. Your heart is worth protection. Why don't you say it? My heart heart is worth guarding. guarding. It's It's worth protecting. I know that because it's the most valuable thing you have. Your heart is the most precious thing in your possession. And we've seen scripture after scripture. We know this, that God does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God, finish it for me looks at the heart. That's what he's looking at. Every time he looks at you, he's looking at the heart. He's looking at the heart. So much of what we see is just outward stuff. And that's why people invest so heavily in perfecting or attempting to perfect the outward appearance. Because this is what people see. That's why it's a multi-multi-billion-dollar industry, the, the diet industry, the, the exercise industry. People all over the world, man. I mean, they're working this thing out. They're starving it. They're, they're gorging it. I mean, and everything in between, they're nipping this and tucking that, and all of it is in an effort to perfect the outward man. But the Bible's very clear with us. The outward man is perishing This outward man that we've all been working so hard on, he's on his way out. Like right now, as we speak, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with working this thing out and taking care of this physical body. That's a gift from God too, but it's the inward man. The inward man of the heart is where God's looking, or you could say it like this. This is where he puts the value. This is what's big to him. And people, to a degree, I think they know that because when they do mess up outwardly, or they make a mistake or say something they shouldn't say. Well, they say, well, you know, God knows my heart. It's like, yeah, he does, actually. <laughs> and I'm not sure you should be so thrilled with that right now. You can't hide stuff and don't assume it's in the condition it needs to be in. Oh, well, you know, God knows my heart. I'm sorry I cussed you out, but God knows my heart. Well, evidently that's was in your heart because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's coming out and people think they kid themselves when they think that they can hide things in their heart, but there's only so long you can put something up on the outside before it starts coming out. And even if the outside, we'll talk some about this. I think, Uh, in the course of this series. But Jesus talked about it. He said, well, he was talking to religious people. Well, did the prophet Isaiah say of you, he prophesied of you. He said, you draw near me with your lips, but your heart is somewhere else. And Jesus called these people hypocrites. Why? Because one thing was coming out of their mouth and something else was coming out of the heart. Did you know that's how you measure how much of a hypocrite you are? Just measure the distance between your mouth and your heart. Now, I'm not talking about your physical mouth and this blood pump in your chest. I'm talking about measuring the distance and the difference between what's coming out of your mouth and what's in the chambers of your heart. And however far apart they are, that's how much hypocrisy we've allowed into our lives. And you think you got other people fooled. But God sees it all. All things are open and laid bare before his sight. There's no hiding it. So it's not enough to say, well, God knows my heart. You probably need to say, God knows my heart. (laughs) Lord, what do I do? You know my heart. (laughs) I need some help with it. And that's what we're talking about as we get into the word concerning guarding our heart. We're here in Proverbs 4, back up again to verse 20. He said, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for their life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. And then he says, keep your heart with all diligence. So in the verses before it, he's teaching you teaching us that what gets in your eyes and what gets in your ears is headed for your heart. And these are the gates and the places where we, we are supposed to put something guard to not let things in the eyes and ears that will get down into the heart. When we think of a guard, a lot of the time, we only tend to think of something or someone that keeps things out. And we need to think that way. We talked about it last week. There are things in this world that as believers have no business in your eyes and ears. There's so much of what this world has to offer in regards to entertainment and information that really has no time. You have no time for it and it has no business getting in your eyes and in your ears. Why? Because it ends up in your heart. And we tend to think of a guard only as something that keeps something or someone out. But listen to this. He said, incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your heart. Listen to these words right here. Keep them in. Did you catch that? Keep them in the midst of your heart. Now he's talking about his words. Keep my words going in your ears. Keep my words in front of your eyes and keep them where (laughs) in. We'll see this here in a second, but a guard does not just keep things out. A guard keeps things in. Did you find Philippians chapter four? Look at this with me in uh, verse six. Philippians four, six says, be anxious for how much? He said, be anxious For nothing. Now, obviously, come on. He didn't actually mean nothing, nothing, because there are just some things that you have to worry about, right? I mean, there are just some things that require you to be anxious, that require you to worry, to give anxious thought towards. So obviously when he said be anxious for nothing, he was talking about some things, but clearly there are bigger things that you know, we have to worry about. What? Bad preaching? (laughs) Yeah, really bad. He said, be anxious for how much? Nothing. Nothing. How much is nothing? nothing? Not one thing. Not one thing. Be anxious. Be worried. Be fretful. Stress out for not one thing, not one. Now you see this here in a second, but he's talking to you about what to keep out. Are you following me? What you and I are supposed to keep on the outside. Guard your heart and don't let worry in. Don't let anxiety in. Be anxious for nothing, but do this instead in everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Instead of worrying, what are you supposed to be doing? This is deep. Are you ready for this? Pray. Pray. I know it's so simple. But this is what we're supposed to be doing while the rest of this world is worried and anxious over anything and everything. As believers, we're supposed to be defined by something else. If they're defined by fear, we're defined by faith. And what faith does, instead of worrying about the finances, talks to God about it. Instead of worrying about the children, I'm going to talk to God about the children. Now, bring some of these things up because there are people that will flat out argue with you over their right and responsibility to worry, (laughs) to worry over the finances of their family, to worry about their children, to worry about your health. You're supposed to worry about your health, right? All this craziness in the world and people dropping like flies. You should be worried. Folks, we're getting preached to that message every day. You are hearing those words every day. You should be worried. Should you though? No. Now, the more you feed on that, guess what's happening? The more you keep worried and anxious thoughts in front of you, the more you keep a bad report in front of you, you keep it in your eyes and in your ears. Where's it headed? Straight to the heart. And it's like telling the guard, Go home. Take the day off. They don't do that in the military. You don't station a guy on the front lines at the guard post of, of your, your fort or your, uh, wherever your, your base, where you're stationed. You don't walk out to him and say, you know what, brother, you've been working hard. Take the day off. I'm sure we'll be fine. <laughs> it won't be long. And something or someone will be inside that doesn't have any business inside. That should never be inside. And feeding on that stuff all the time, listening to people tell you how worried you should be. If you keep that in front of you, it's just like telling the guard to go home. Just like telling the guard, you take, why don't you take the right? Re- you know what? Take the month off. I know leading up to the 2020 election, Uh, and that circus, I was getting a lot of my news from social media, media feeds. And I kept finding myself going back to it, going back to it, going back to it. And I realized, and probably not soon enough how terrible I felt and how anxious I was getting over this whole thing and how it was on my mind all the time. And I found myself searching out people who just pushed other people's buttons. It's like, I want to watch these two fight. Let's watch these people fight. And just before the election, the Lord had to deal with me about it and say, Turn it off. Shut it off. You're letting some things in that don't have any business being in you. And so I did, man. I shut it off. I took it off my phone. And I've never gone back to it. Can I tell you how happy I am? And people might say, Well, you're ignorant. You don't know what's going on. Maybe. I don't know. I'm happy. I'm happy because there are things that I'm not letting get in me. let me jump ahead of myself here just a little bit, but this is how you find out what you should and shouldn't be listening to. Just ask yourself, what's this doing to me? How's this making me feel? How am I treating people after I watch this after I listen to this? How cranky am I right now? because there are things that are either sustaining you or draining you and you have to find out which one's doing what and eliminate the things that are draining you and focus on the things that sustain you and bring life to you. Be anxious for how much? What about your kids? Surely you need to worry about your kids, right? I mean, this is a weird and crazy world we're living in. Surely God's cool with you worried, being worried about their safety and being worried about their protection. I mean, they're spending eight hours a day away from you. So it's only right. It's only natural that you worry. It is only natural that you worry. It is only natural. Only (laughs) nothing supernatural about it. It's only natural, but we're commanded here in scripture not to worry not to be anxious, but instead to pray with all prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And notice what's going to happen. And the peace of God. Somebody say, the peace of God. Say it again, the peace of God. Say it again, the peace of God. Peace. What's peace going to do? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding is going to do what? It will guard your heart. Peace. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Peace. Do you know that peace is the guard that we've been given? To set up guard over our hearts, to set up guard over our minds, to protect us. And that might require you to change the way you think a little bit about peace and what comes to your mind when you even just think the word peace. That's why I'm having you say it, the peace of God, the peace of God. You start talking about peace and people just start thinking rainbows and butterflies and and Bob Ross paintings and there's more to it. He said that peace will be a guard. Now this is where uh, I, I mentioned to you, there are things that we keep out and things that we keep in. Where did I write that down? Listen to what this word keep or guard means. It means to guard or to protect by a military guard. This word peace has a military, a militant aspect to it. Now that's different than rainbows and butterflies, isn't it? To keep or protect by a military guard either. Now listen to this, either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. Do you see what he's saying? This guard, this military guard, he's talking about peace. This military guard fulfills one of two functions. One, he said, either to, listen to it again, prevent hostile invasion. That's what this guard does. Keeps things out. Prevent a hostile invasion. Or to keep inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. Or you could say it like this, to keep the things that are supposed to be in, in, to keep the things that are supposed to be out, out. This is the guard we've been given. And he's, he's referring here to, to a military aspect, a military function. And when you put a guard at a post, you don't leave that guy there with with nothing to fight with, right? I mean, you don't just leave him there with his hands in his pockets. You arm that guard and you make sure he's got or she's got what it takes to keep the things out that are supposed to be out and the things in that are supposed to be in. This is a military function. Can you see this is a different way to think about the peace of God? It's got this militant aspect to it the peace of God. There's two words. Let me cover this quickly that I want you to think of when you think about peace. And these are words that come from the very definition of the word. Number one, peace. If you look it up, the scriptural word peace literally means prosperity, prosperity. And you can see now how foolish it is to fight prosperity. Peace is prosperity. I can prove that with a few scriptures. We'll we'll put these on the screen if we have them. Listen to this from the book of Proverbs, chapter 15. I like this in verse 16 and 17. It says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. These are things that the Bible tells you and I are worth more than gold, worth more than a bunch of money. He said, it's actually better to have a little with the fear of the Lord, than great treasure with trouble. He said, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Listen to it from the New Living Translation. He said, better to have little with fear for the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. You know what inner turmoil is? No peace. So if it's better to have this than money, then evidently this piece is worth more than money. Now they're not mutually exclusive. He's not saying you got to pick one and not the other, but he is saying this one, this piece, this inner, this inner peace is worth more than a bunch of money in the bank. He said, it's. Uh, he said a bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. (laughs) Now, if we have any men in here like me, a bowl of vegetables is not your favorite thing. It's not your go to meal, right? It's not, oh, I can't wait for a bowl of raw vegetables. You'd rather have that steak. And, and what he's doing here is kind of painting a picture One is kind of a meager meal. One is an expensive meal, but he's saying it would be better to sit down and eat a salad with someone you love than to have a seven course meal across from somebody you're fighting with. Peace is worth more. Peace is more precious. It gets worse. Proverbs 17 one says, better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. Better a dry crust, a half a piece of stale bread. Now, if you gave many people the choice, would you rather have a dry crust and peace or feasting with turmoil and conflict? Many, many people don't know how to put the value where it really belongs, but godly people look to the word to set their values. And according to God, peace is prosperity. In other words, if you've got peace in your house and a lot of it, I don't care what's in the bank right now. You're a rich man. You're a rich woman, according to scripture. Now, other things can follow, but this is most valuable. This is more important. He said in chapter 25, verse 24, it's better. I'm going to tread lightly on this one. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. (laughs) Now guys quit laughing. This goes for you too. (laughs) It's better. He said to live alone in the corner of an attic than it is to live in a big, beautiful, lovely, expensive home Filled with fighting. Filled with strife. Peace is more valuable. Peace is more precious because peace is prosperity. You want to know how I know peace is prosperity? How I know how rich it makes you when you have peace? Think about the price that was paid to obtain it. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. I think there's a part of the crucifixion that gets overlooked or missed entirely. We get that he was wounded for our transgressions. We understand that he was bruised for our iniquities. We know that. We know it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. We get that. And then we go to the end and we understand that by his stripes, we were healed. And that's healing for your spirit, healing for your soul, healing for your body. But right there in the middle of it was the price that he paid for peace. Peace. For your peace. And we use those terms a lot, don't we? Jesus paid the price. He paid the price. There's two ways to think about a price being paid. We think about him paying the price for our sin, or in other words, sin required punishment. It's kind of like somebody, you're going to pay the price for that. And he certainly did that but he also paid the price in the same sense that you and I pay a price to obtain a good or to buy something you take, you go into a store and you find something on the shelf you want, you take it to the counter. You don't get to just walk out with that thing. You have to pay the price. But once that price has been paid, it belongs to you. Now here's what you got to understand about paying the price. The moment you were willing to pay that price for that thing, that thing became worth that price. Does that make sense to you? So I don't care if anybody else in the world hears and sees what you paid for that thing and they go, oh man, that's not worth it. You got robbed, you got gypped, it's not worth that. Sorry, they don't get to determine that because they didn't pay for it. You're the one who paid for it, so you're the one who put the value on it and if to nobody else but you, that's what it's worth. The moment that price was paid for that thing, that's what that thing became worth. And Jesus paid the price. The chastisement, and the Amplified says it like this, needful to obtain our peace. It's like Jesus, for lack of a better word, went into the store and took peace and put it on the counter and said, I'm, I'm willing to pay this price for this thing. And he paid a high price for it, chastisement. Chastisement, if you look it up, is physical beating as well as verbal punishment. Anybody ever been chastised before? By a parent, by a boss, you just got chewed up, chewed out? That's what this word chastise is. He paid the price. And the moment he paid that price for peace, that's what peace became worth. That's a high price. And it's the highest price that's ever been paid. And he gave it to you. That's how I know you're a prosperous person when you have the peace of God. Thank you, Lord. So I'm gonna give you two words. Number one, peace is prosperity. And number two, peace is also quietness. Have you heard these words together? Peace and peace and what? Can I just get some peace and said every parent in the room <laughs> These things go together they they are the same peace and quiet And I don't know if it's just getting older or what but I have come to love yeah. peace and quiet I love it man and I feel like it's it, it's more in my personality in Sarah and I's personality we 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 love peace and we love Quiet. Just before we moved to Colorado, about a year before, we bought a house thinking we were going to be there for the next several years. And it was a newer home. It was a pretty home. We bought it from some people that had only lived in it, I think, a year and definitely less than two years. Uh, So it was still, for all intents and purposes, brand new. And it was close to the kid's school. It was close to our office. And we had been driving a long way, taking the kids to school, driving to work. We were spending over an hour a day in the car, was kind of wearing us out. So we were excited to get this new place close to everything. And so we bought it, we closed on it. Hey, we're homeowners, it's great, right? We move in and our first night in the house, our mattresses are on the floor. It's whatever, nine o'clock. And we're crawling into bed, worn out from moving. And all of a sudden, trains (laughs) start rolling through. I don't know how we missed this little detail (laughs) that we lived less than a mile from a train crossing and less than two miles from six train crossings. And we could hear every one of them. And every time the train would come to a crossing, it was the same thing. Three long blasts, one short one, and another long one. And they came all night long. Sarah and I laid there and cried. (laughs) What have we done? We didn't sleep all night long. I'm serious, we cried, did we not? We just laid there like, oh Lord, did we miss it? How did we miss it? And, you know, it takes a couple of weeks. We slept with earplugs in our ears. I was trying to figure out how to soundproof a room. I was, can you noise cancel an entire house? What do you do? I'm calling window companies about putting up windows that block sound. Why? I love quiet. Give me quiet. It took a couple of weeks and the brain is an amazing thing. It learns to tune some sounds out. It's like this guard goes up. But when the Lord began to move us here. You better believe that was my first question. <laughs> Are there trains anywhere in the state of Colorado? Cause I don't want them. I love quiet. I think more than just loving it. What I'm trying to say is I've come to value it. Value the quiet. We took the kids, um, two nights ago, just this past weekend, kind of a impromptu last spur of the moment kind of thing to a playoff, NBA playoff game in Denver. The Denver Nuggets are in the playoffs. I don't know for how much longer, but they're in right now. And we kind of been following some of this. We thought, well, this will be fun. You know, summer break, we'll take the kids. I had jumped online, found some tickets and we drove up to Denver and man, we got in line and I don't know what, what number in line do you think we were? (laughs) 3,640 something. It was forever in front of us. I turned around. It was forever behind us. And it's just this massive crowd of people. And it is like a cornucopia of sights and sounds and smells. And we're right in the middle of all of it. Finally, we get in the door, make our way to our seats. And I've been to pro games before, but I guess I just gotten used to watching from my quiet couch because it's anything but quiet in there and you got people screaming and you got people drinking and they're all around you with their limited vocabulary of things of how to express their displeasure with the referee. And we've got our two little ones there. Now the kids loved it, they had a great time. Uh, but Sarah and I were just kind of looking at each other like, dear Lord, this is not our thing. This is not our thing. We want the quiet, we love the quiet. And they just kept playing that, eh, 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 you know, like and the, the beats and the sounds and the music. And it was nonstop. And at 11 o'clock, we're walking back to the, to the hotel. We were going to stay the night and our heads are just spinning. I'm like, you know what? I learned something about myself tonight. I love quiet. I love the quiet at one point during the game, the whole crowd where we were standing up, looking over in this other section. So I'm looking, I'm like, what is going on? Didn't see anything. The next day, a buddy of mine texted me a video and said, did you see this? It was a video from inside the arena where we were two dudes fighting it out. One with the home Jersey, one with the opposing team jersey, and they're just slugging at each other and blood. And, and it's not my thing. I don't like it. What do I like? Help me out church. What do I like? Two things, peace and quiet. Anybody else with me on that? Peace and quiet. You come to see how valuable it is. But um, I want to read this. So you go to the book of Luke chapter 11. Let me read this scripture to you though. About peace. Well, first let me say this. Peace, like I've already said, is a guard that keeps out what shouldn't get in and keeps in what shouldn't get out. And we're gonna to have to become a little bit more militant when it comes to our thought life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse four, he said, the weapons of our warfare, so here he is talking military again, are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. To the obedience of Christ. He's talking about thoughts. Bringing every thought into captivity. This is the function that the guard performs. You bring the thoughts into captivity. But you have to identify, like we've already said, what's this thought doing to me? Is this thought draining me? Or when I think this way, does it sustain me? Does it add life to me? Does it keep me going? Anxious, worried thoughts getting in are a drain to you. They're a drain on your energy. They're a drain on your emotion. But thoughts of peace will actually sustain you and keep you going. And you got to identify what thought, what am I feeding on? And if it's not a thought... He, he, if we, uh, I went a little fast here, but Philippians chapter four, he went on to say whatever things are, remember this, true and lovely and pure and a good report, if there's any virtue in these things, if any of these things be praiseworthy, what did he say? Think on these things. In other words, let those in and keep them in. Don't let anxiety in, keep it out. Identify what it's doing to you. If you could just sort of step outside of yourself for a second when you've been thinking on something and and, and worried about something and and you, you go to bed with it on your mind and you wake up with it on your mind and you carry it around through the day on your mind and it's like you're meditating on it night and day. Just step outside yourself for a second and say, what's this doing to you? Because if it's in the heart, it's affecting every area of your life. Worried thoughts are actually affecting physical health. Worried thoughts are actually affecting the state of your family financially. What's this thought doing to me? And when you identify one that doesn't need to be in, some of you are going to have to think back to your BC days, Mm -hmm. going to those clubs, right? Going to the bars and they had that big dude at the door. And he stood there with that rope and some people got in and some people didn't. But then there were those times where some people got in, but they started acting a fool inside. And what that big dude have to do, he had to come grab them and throw them out. Right. You got to put one of those guys at the door of your heart, at the door of your mind. Don't let in what's supposed to be out and don't let out what's supposed to stay in. Identify these thoughts and when you identify one that's draining you, that's keeping you up, worried at night, keeping you worried throughout the day with this scripture, what do you do? You bring it into captivity. You literally have to arrest it. Arrest it. You know what we call our police? Keepers of the peace. What do we call it when, when there's a commotion in, in the town and, and people are acting unruly and they're being loud? They are disturbing the peace. That's a crime. Disturbing the peace is a crime. And you know what happens to people who get arrested for disturbing the peace? They get locked up you gotta lock them up. I said, you gotta lock it up. When you identify thoughts that are disturbing your peace, what do you do? Lock it up. Bring it into captivity. Lock it up. Why? It's disturbing the peace. Hey, wait a second, fear. Uh, uh, you have been disturbing my peace. Fear, you have kept me up night after night for a month. You are disturbing my peace. You are disturbing my prosperity. You are disturbing my quietness. I'm locking you up. Bring it into captivity. You can do that with your thoughts. And you say out loud, that is not my thought. That thought is not from God. And I'm not letting that thought in. But I want you to notice this. In Isaiah chapter 26... He said in verse three, let's put this on the screen. He said, you, talking to God, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So your peace is not dependent on and is not determined by any outward thing. Your peace is not determined by what, how much money's in the bank. Your peace is not determined by how you feel physically. Your peace is not determined by the security of your job. Your peace is not determined by what trajectory your investments are headed in. None of these things determine peace. And if you let them determine peace, you are at risk of losing all your peace. You're at risk of losing your prosperity. You are at risk of losing your quietness. Your peace as a believer and my peace is determined by what your mind is on. That's what determines your peace. And he said to God, you will keep him in perfect peace. Look it up in the original. It says you will keep him in peace, peace, perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you. That's where peace is. So you could say that's where prosperity is. You could say that's where quietness is. That's where it's found. You will keep him in perfect peace. Anybody else just like the sound of perfect peace? That's no inner turmoil. That's no conflict on the inside. Glory to God. Perfect peace. And he said, You will. Keep him. Is that a familiar word? Keep. It's the same word translated guard. He's saying God will be the man at the door. God himself will guard you. God will be the bouncer. (laughs) God will be the one standing guard, keeping things out that don't belong in and keeping things in that you don't need to let out. He'll be the one. You will keep him in perfect peace if if your mind is stayed on him. Did you know the absence of peace is just simply the product of a wandering mind? The absence of peace is the result and the product of your mind just being free to go wherever it wants to go. And people just call it their personality. Uh You know, I'm just a daydreamer. Uh I I just, you know, I don't focus well. Well, learn. (laughs) Your peace is dependent upon it. And it's not some personality thing that you can't overcome. Your peace is dependent and determined by you having your mind stayed on him. What did he tell Joshua? Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Don't let it out. Don't let it get out. Keep it in. Keep my words in. You will meditate on it day and night and I will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Why? Because you kept in what was supposed to be in and didn't let it out. Meditate on this day and night, day and night. And people look at that and go, how do you do that? I got a job. I got a family. When you keep God at the center of it and you live constantly mindful of his presence and his involvement, and when you do step up to something, a natural situation that that needs your attention, your first thought is not, what am I gonna do? Your first thought is, Lord, what's your word say about this? How do you want me to handle this? That's meditating on him day and night, keeping him at the center of everything you do, at the center of everything you set your hand to, everything that's coming out of your mouth. And you can do this. He wouldn't have told you to do it if you couldn't. We can do this. You are not required to worry. Your mind is your mind. Your heart is your heart. And when there are thoughts knocking at the door, that don't belong inside, you can take those things captive and lock them up. I said, lock them up. Husbands, wives, we can help each other with this. That was an overwhelming lack of response. (laughs) But we can. Huh? She hears you. She hears what's going on in your heart. Day and night when you're worried about this thing and you're worried about this thing over here and what am I gonna do about that? Don't be surprised if from today forward she looks at you and goes, You better lock that up. You better lock it up, boy. <laughs> Wives, I'm giving you the green light. <laughs> mine included. You hear something coming coming out of our mouths, say it, lock it up. Come on, say it, lock it up. You better lock it up. You lock it, you lock it up. <laughs> Wives, are you willing to hear it? The head of the house, say, okay, we're going to lock that up. Lock that up. That is not our thought. Those are not our words. They are disturbing of the peace. Fear, I arrest you. Amen. You have the right to remain silent. Shut up. I'm locking you up. You bring it into the captivity. An- anxious, worried thoughts, I'm locking you up. <laughs> Come on, is this helping you is it making sense to you? You got to lock it up, man. You got to lock this up. Your peace depends on it. You will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you. And I'll give you, as we wrap this up, Luke chapter 11, this is a great example of this out of the life and ministry of Jesus. I said, 11 Luke chapter 10, excuse me. In Luke chapter 10, I love this. I just want to hear you say it again, lock it up. You got to lock it up in Luke chapter 10, it says in verse 38, now it happened as they went that he talking about Jesus entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now this is a good first step because Jesus has preached in a lot of different places and you see it all throughout the gospels. He's preached in synagogues. He's preached on mountainsides. He's preached standing in the bow of a ship, looking at thousands of people on the shore and and, in every imaginable environment. And I can tell you as a preacher, atmosphere matters. There are things you can say in certain atmospheres that you can't say in other atmospheres. But what Jesus has just stepped into is unique and different than all the rest. He's coming into a home and not just a home, but a home, according to scripture, he's been welcomed into. That makes a difference. You know what it's like being in somebody's house who actually wants you to be there. The difference between that and stepping into somebody's house who acts like they can't wait for you to leave. It makes a difference in what goes on in the house. But now he's in a house, the house of a certain woman named Martha, who welcomed him into her house. Verse 39 says, she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, every word of this is important. Martha, this is her house. She's welcomed Jesus into it. She's got a sister, Mary, who's at the house. But listen to this, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. What's that tell you? That at least at one point during what's going on in this house, Mary and Martha were sitting at the feet of Jesus hearing his word. And that's why they've welcomed him into the house. Man, we want to hear what you have to say. We want to hear. We want to see for ourselves. We want to encounter what's coming out of your mouth. It's life changing. It's eternity altering. We want to hear it. So there they sit at the feet of Jesus hearing his word. But look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted. Distracted. So she sat there and heard his feet, heard his feet, heard his word, sat there at his feet hearing his word, but then she got distracted. You want to know what the word distracted literally means? Drawn away or driven about in the mind, letting the mind go wherever it wants to go. Driven about in the mind. And this is what the Bible calls a distraction. And we can see that, can't we? Distraction. You're looking at one thing and something else pops up and it pulls your attention away from perhaps what you should have been focused on onto something else something less important. Distractions. Distractions can be time wasters. Distractions can be dangerous. Distractions can be deadly. I mean, sadly, how many people have we lost on highways and city streets who were driving a car and got distracted by a ding or a buzz or a ring? and took their eyes off of what was most important, just for a moment, got distracted, and were hurt, or lives were lost. uh, Distractions can be dangerous, distractions can be deadly. And it says Martha was distracted. She was driven about in her mind with much serving. With much serving. So get the picture again here. This is Martha's house. She's welcomed Jesus into it. She's sitting at his feet next to her sister. They're hearing his word. But like some preachers I know, he's going a long time and he just keeps talking and talking and talking. And this little thought creeps into Martha's mind. Now it was right here on Jesus, but here comes this thought. He's been talking a while. There's a bunch of people in this house. They're going to get hungry. He's going to be hungry. Who's going to feed these people? Now, I don't know if she sat there and fought it. I don't know if she said, oh, no, no, I, I, I got to hear what he's saying. Okay, focus, Martha, focus, focus, focus. <laughs> and then here comes that thought again. Somebody's got to feed the people. Somebody's got to serve these people. And at some point while Jesus is talking, Martha stands up from where she was seated at his feet, makes her way through the crowd. I'm sorry, excuse me, I apologize, excuse me, Sorry. 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 I just got to get right. She starts getting into the kitchen and starts preparing a meal. And then all of a sudden she's overwhelmed by the magnitude of this meal because she, the Bible says she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. There's not a whole lot of details here, but you can imagine what was going on. Martha's in the, in the kitchen Clanging around pots and pans, trying to figure out what to make for all these people. And she looks out there, and there's lazy Mary just sitting at his feet. And she's in the kitchen going, Mary! Mary! Get, woohoo! I know you hear me. Sister, get your, get, trying to get Mary's attention got to be careful of this because distracted people distract people. And finally, she had enough of it and came in there. And one translation of the scripture says, bursting in upon him, assumed a stance over him. So Jesus was seated preaching. Mary's at his feet. Martha is now over him. What's wrong with this picture? And she says to him, do you not care? You don't care. She's now upset with him. Interrupts the whole message because she got distracted and said, you don't care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. That's right, I said it. Tell her to help me. And Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you are Look at this. What did he say? Worried. Worried. You are anxious and you are troubled. This word troubled. Look it up. You know what it means? Disquieted. What is peace? It's quiet. Trouble is disquiet. Everything was good as long as her mind was on him. But here comes this distraction. Here comes this other thought. And it seems like a good one, right? Serving. People need to be served. But what she didn't realize was two meals were being served that day. One by her and one by Jesus. And if she had taken that thought captive, if she had locked it up, she could have said, you know what? I'm hungry. He's probably hungry. All these people got to eat. But have you ever seen what this guy can do with a sardine and a saltine? You feed him. You feed him. I'm not leaving my place. I have to hear what he has to say. But what happened to her peace? He said, you're anxious. You're worried. Something got out that should have stayed in. And something got in that should have stayed out. You are worried and you are troubled. You are disquieted about many things. But he said, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. What's he saying? I'm not telling her to move a muscle. I'm not sending her in there. She's going to feed on the meal I'm serving. And as long as her mind stayed on Jesus, there was peace, peace, perfect peace. But the moment she got distracted, the mind began to wander. That's like saying, okay, guard, go home. You're done. But who's gonna stand guard here? Nobody, nothing. Anxious, worried thought, come on in. Fear, come on in. Because of a wandering mind but he will keep him in perfect peace. Amen. Whose mind is stayed on him. What do you do with fear thoughts? Come on church. What do you do with them? Lock them up. What do you do with uh, with anxious, worried thoughts? Lock them up, bring them into captivity. You say out loud, that's not my thought. That's not my thought. I'm keeping my mind stayed on the Lord. And if you will keep your mind on him, he will keep you in perfect peace. Amen. Does this help anybody today? Would you stand up with me? Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817 577 Zero one eight zero. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text legacy and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you and remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.